1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? Harry Doyle here welcoming all of you to another season of Indians baseball. Here's a list of players we'll be inviting to camp. This guy here is dead. Cross him off then. We'd love for you to come to spring training for a shot at this year's club. By the way, you were with me last night. Who's this chick on top of me? We'd still like to take a look at you in our spring camp. Not sure I can make it by then. Who is that? Serrano. What's his religion? Voodoo. Say hey! Willie Mays Hayes here. Play like Mays, and I run like Hayes. How you doing? What the hell league you been playing in? California Penal. Don't you have any proven Major League talent? Now I want to put together a team that'll help us relocate to Miami. You want us to lose? We've been losing. What I want is for us to finish dead last. This year, the Cleveland Indians have a multi-talented team. The first offering, just a bit outside. They're masters of the sacrifice. He's looking to sacrifice a live chicken. One old chicken, just like you said. The double play. Excuse me. I have a much better body than she does. Thank for me, she really does. And the pickoff. Every time we win, we peel a section. <laughs> Tom Berenger. Zipper on your skirt stuck. Use your imagination. Charlie Sheen. These things make me look ridiculous. Seeing's the most important thing, son. How big is that important? Corbin Burnson. And Bob Euchre. Haywood swings and crushes one towards South America. Major League. That ball wouldn't have been out of a lot of parks. Name one. Yellowstone. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro, and it is my pleasure once again, after a long hiatus, to have John and Maggie Schaefer-Hames with us today. 
How you doing, guys? Hey, Paul. Hello. Thanks for having us on. It is great to be back. Yeah, well, I, you know, this like is often the case. This was like a long time coming. I think I, I got to think it's got to be like six months ago that Maggie and I exchanged a couple of uh, PMs on Facebook saying, hey, we should talk on 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 the show again. And then it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we, we, we both think it's a great idea and it just goes on and on and on and we don't do it. But finally, baseball season is with us and you're baseball fans and I'm a baseball fan. And somehow we did manage to find a baseball movie to watch. So I'm kind of kind of stoked for it. Yep. We searched and searched and realized even though there are so few movies made about baseball, <laughs> yeah. we managed to find probably the only one. No. Well. You know, let's 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 go on that for a second. And I, I, I'm going to want to, you know, we started talking about our our fanhood, which I'd like to talk about a little bit. But just talk about baseball movies for a second. Yes, there are a lot of them. But are there really a lot of good ones? Mm. Right. I mean, baseball, you know, baseball does lend itself very well to cinema in that, you know, you can use so you can do a movie about a player or you can do a movie about you know a player where you're doing several seasons over a career or you can do a movie like this one about one season or you could do a movie like for love of the game about you know one game it's the the game itself has such you know lends itself to so, so many narratives that movies can but man i guess it's like Kevin Costner plus baseball equals good movies. I was going to say, we did pick one of the baseball movies that does not feature Kevin Costner. And I do feel that Kevin Costner plus baseball equals good yeah. movie, much like Tom Cruise plus running equals good movie. It's just, an entertaining movie. Yeah. It's just one of those, you know, laws of physics. Things. Well, you know what? I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to bail on you a little bit because in my opinion, well, my favorite baseball movie, no question is field of dreams. It, oh, it, sure. it blow, blows away the other baseball movies as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I really, really love Bull Durham. I yes. am not a fan of For the Love of the Game. I found you know, it to be tedious. I am a huge fan of For Love of the Game. I, but I can really understand why someone wouldn't like it. I'm a fan of it. It's a lot of my Sam Raimi fan. Dumb mm -hmm. is wrapped up a lot in it. Mm -hmm. And I also really like it as kind of the third in a trilogy of kind of a, a, you know, that all have sort of general themes about aging and, mm. you know, fatherhood and things like that. Um, I, I like it. Plus I really thought it was a neat conceit. You know, the one but yeah, by that point that in his career movie, though, Kevin, Kevin was kind of phoning it in. The one aspect of that movie that I really did like was, you know, how he'd be on the mound and you'd hear the crowd and everything and then he'd focus. He had like a trigger word that would focus and all of a sudden yeah. it would be silence. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it, was just, it was just him and the batter. And I can relate to that because, podcasting aside, because this is what I do for fun, when I've had to speak publicly for work and, and you know, make, make presentations and do different things in front of an audience, I can relate to that. Yeah, it's getting into that zone where I, what I'm about to do is very stressful, but it needs to be done. And you just yeah. get it done. You know, except that when you're a pitcher, getting it done is hurling a ball at 95 miles an hour <laughs> at another dude. <laughs> and not killing him. 
and not killing them. While everybody in this, well, thousands of people are yelling, you know, every obscenity that New York can come up with. So only New York. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, no, Yankees fans. Oh, okay. Well, now, now we, now we're, now we're going to the mutual enemies. That's fine. Right. <laughs> so let's 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 talk for a minute about about our baseball fanship, uh, fanhood, Fannington. I don't know. Fannington, uh, I like Fannington. Now I grew up. You know, I, I have always been a Mets fan, but I was not a diehard fan growing up. I was just kind of a casual fan, and then as I got older it became more and more and more intense as I went on. Uh, by the time, you know, we got to the 85, 86 Mets, I was going to games all the time. Uh, I've brainwashed my son into being a Mets fan. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I still am, I still have a group that I'm part of that has, you know, a full season ticket plan for the, uh, for the, for the team. And we, you know, we, every year we threaten that we're not going to go back again. And every year we go back again. <laughs> <laughs> So and and I love going to the games. Now my fiance, on the other hand, is a Yankee fan. So wow, it just could show you that mixed marriages can work. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that's that's a big difference to overcome. Holy moly! The the difference is though, like she'll come to a Mets game with me, and she'll root for the Mets because she knows it'll make me happy. Uh, I'll go to a Yankee game with her. I'll go to any baseball game. I don't care. I just love baseball. Yeah. But I can never bring myself to root for the Yankees, <laughs> and 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 it, it it just makes her angry at me. Oh, that's hilarious! So I can I can understand. <laughs> I'm trying to think. You know what? If I were in Yankee Stadium, I probably would, just for the sake of it. If it was an otherwise neutral situation, like rooting for U.S. Steel. No, <laughs> they just don't need it. Okay, they have all the money. They've got all the players. Look, They've got all the history. They've got all the pinstripes. Look, you don't got to tell me. It's... They don't need anything <laughs> else. All right? Now, uh, and that, of course, is sour grapes coming from a fan of a very small market team. But, uh, you know, to be fair, probably my second favorite baseball movie is Pride mm -hmm. of the Yankees. I love Pride of the Yankees. Gets me a little choked up during that speech every time. I'm trying to think if I've seen that. I don't remember if I've seen Pride of the Yankees. I don't think I have. We'll, we will rectify that. We watched, um, uh, is it Eight Men Out? Eight Men Out is a very good, I believe, historically accurate movie. I, I think it's fairly it historically does accurate. well. If you compare it to the Ken Burns baseball documentary, <laughs> which I've watched more than once, um, the movie does seem to followed the story more or less. I mean, maybe some of the characteristics were kind of, they, I think, took some creative license with some of that, just because it's some of the things you're not going to know. Yeah, it's a history biopic. Any, right. You're going to see that in any case. And it's such a, such a sad story. But a really, I thought it was a really good movie. Yeah, I did too. So, I mean, there are good baseball movies out there. And today we are here to discuss Major League. And I'm going to go on the record before we even start, before we rate it, to say I think this is a good movie. I enjoy this movie when I watch it very mm -hmm. much. Mm -hmm. And wow. we are dealing, although we're dealing with the Cleveland Indians, we do have Bob Euchre, who would have a warm spot. You guys would have a warm spot for him, wouldn't you? 
a, a wee bit of oh, one, yes. I love yes. Bob Uecker. He's the best. Well, not only that, but this, uh, the baseball, the interior baseball scenes uh, were filmed in County Stadium. I was uh, unaware of that. The, the, the Milwaukee Brewers uh, played there. So for me, you know, watching it growing up, I watched, I've seen this movie so many times. And it was always one that when I watched it when I was younger, it was I would be pointing at things like you know Leonardo DiCaprio in the in the meme. Uh, every time I'd see something like that's where the Brewers play, and now it's a completely different feeling because it, we've moved on and we're in Miller Park, which is now American Family. What is it? American Family Field? I don't. We're still getting used to that. I was just I, I lose used, track of all the sponsors. Right, but names. this. So now it's a nostalgic. It's where the Brewers used to play. So, what what is your history as far as just being baseball fans? Uh, for me, I, I grew up, uh, you know, as a as a uh, Wisconsinite. You come out of the womb and they hand you a, a green and gold jersey and a and a cheese well a cheese head a cheese head and they yeah. so you're mostly a Packer fan and for most. People in the states, uh, the Brewers are something you do while you're waiting for football season to start again. <laughs> if that, it was a different story back in when I was a kid in the '80s, because we had a pretty great team in the early '80s with people like Robin Young, um, Cecil Fielder, you know, Paul Molitor, Raleigh Fingers, especially, and they made it to the World Series and, and lost. But their announcer, who I heard nightly. Growing up, my dad would listen to it on the radio. Was Bob Euchre, and he Jay was. I, I wasn't a huge fan. I was much more of a football fan until adulthood. But still listening to Bob Euchre, and, and especially when I got more interested in, it, in baseball, uh, I really learned a lot from him because you know he's known for his comedy, which is on display in this movie. But he's a very knowledgeable uh, baseball fan and can really explain things. But I think the tie-in with your team, which if I could briefly tell my, my funny story before I kick it to Maggie, uh, I was tired of uh, between 1982 and 1986, the Brewers were terrible. And I, as a child, you know, couldn't have that. And I was sick of all of my friends would root for the Brewers until they were out of it. And then they would pick uh, whichever one of the teams in the World Series and then be, be huge, whatever their fans for a minute. And I didn't it's called like a that. front runner. Yes, it is. <laughs> so I decided I was going to arbitrarily pick another baseball team to root for when the Brewers inevitably, uh, you know, were out of it by, you know, the the All Star break. And what team did you pick, John? Well, in the year 1986, I completely at random chose <laughs> the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> And it was great because, you know, they were on TV a lot and um, they won a lot. And I got to learn the players. And then my my I never forget the day uh, as we were the next year at school came out. They were in the playoffs and going through. And my friend Scott, this kid, the one of the bigger baseball fans in my class, I was 12 years old, takes me aside just solemnly with this book. <laughs> to explain to me, it opens it up to the section of the babe of Babe Ruth and the Boston Red Sox, and explains to me what a curse is. <laughs> and I'm like, pshaw! <laughs> we will win. We will be led by our great first baseman, Bill Buckner. Yep. 
You were. You were led by him. We were. And well. due to unfortunate situations that my therapist says I will be able to talk to talk about in public at one point. Uh didn't quite work out for me. But I was, 2004 I was, was way better. I was at that game. Oh, you were? Uh, yes. Really? And when it That's when it ended, awesome. when it ended, my friends and I started saying, "Do we ever have to go to another game? Because we're never going <laughs> to top we're never going to top this moment for us." Wow. That is hilarious because my entire life, just to even think of that moment, uh, I, I'm having issues right now. <laughs> but well, I, that is so cool. I <laughs> always gave sitting? Bill Buckner a lot of credit because he was very, very cool about it. I have uh, in my house, I have a picture of Mookie Wilson crossing first base, autographed by Mookie Wilson and Bill Buckner. And hmm. I have that framed hanging up, and d- directly below it, I have a, a ticket, uh, a frame with my ticket in it. Oh. Uh, we were literally sitting in the last row in the stadium, uh, huh. by first base, the first base area, but the last row in the entire stadium. They called those the euchre seats. Where yes. we're, we're from. Yeah. In the, in the front row. How about you, Maggie? What's your What's your baseball background? So. <laughs> By way of podcasting, I, I've come to find that a lot of my nerd-like tendencies didn't really come to full fruition until I met John it, and and was able to actually explore a lot of my nerddom that I get into. Baseball was something that I always thought was really boring because I was raised a Packers fan. And everything I learned about football, I learned from my grandmothers, which is kind of cool. Um, and I watched a lot of football. And... Then as I got a little older, I was like, this is actually kind of boring. I don't really like it all that much. And when John and I first started dating, he was watching a Brewers game. And I was like, baseball, what's that? And, <laughs> and so we started watching baseball together, and John taught me what thing, how baseball was. I mean, I played baseball like in gym class. I knew what it was. But, you know, it, it but was you were not a fan back then. What? I'm sorry? So, but you were not a fan yet. No, no, absolutely not. I didn't know anything about it. Um, and there were some things that I had to really get used to, like with the, the players changing a lot. People are getting traded a lot more frequently than what happens than when I was used to. And I was like, but that isn't that sad <laughs> like when someone you like leaves me. Um, and so it, it, you it, you do get used to it. Absolutely. And you get, you know, you look forward to seeing what the new players can do and, and what they can't do and things like that. Um, well, you just had your first heartbreak. Now, Ryan Braun is, yeah. is Brawny, retiring. He was my first brewer. He was like the first ball player that I, when I watched him at his at-bat, and he had this great little, like, thing that he had to do, like all these ticks that he had to get straightened out before he could get into the ready position with that pony leg is what I called it because he's constantly lifting that front foot up. And I, I just really liked watching him play. And he, Ryan Braun was a very good baseball player. Um and he's not he's not going to play anymore, and he's, he's going to retire now, which is sad. But these things happen. And, and as, so over the course of many years, I've learned a lot more about baseball, and I've listened to a lot of games called by Bob Uecker and watched a lot of baseball on TV. And my great-grandmother, speaking of Bob Uecker, because my great-grandmother was a first-generation German immigrant raised in a very tiny town here in Wisconsin on a little farm, and she loved the Brewers. They were her favorite thing. She was in her 90s, and she was staying up to watch the West Coast games because she loved baseball so much. 
and she knew all the players and she knew their kids' names and like where they went to college and all this stuff. And she was just all about it. And she and my mom would listen to Bob Euchre call the games and they would play solitaire together when I was like a little tiny baby. Um, so in, in a way I'm, I'm kind of, and nobody else in my family is really all that into baseball. And so I, I'm kind of carrying that on for my great grandmother a little bit because I have completely fallen in love with baseball and it's not even just like brewers like i was a packer fan not a football fan i wasn't gonna watch other people play football why would i do that but i will watch any baseball game i don't care who's playing i will watch that game like i've been staying up to watch the dodgers games because the brewers are playing the dodgers soon and i want to see how they're doing so you're scouting, doing you're scouting well. them yeah i am a little bit i want to know who they are i want to know what's going on and are they slumping and things like that and it's there's just so much minutia in baseball that you can really sink your teeth into. And I know I'm gushing. I apologize. Well, it's one of the things I love about the game is you can dedicate, you can watch a game and you can dedicate as much or as little energy to it as you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you want to multitask, that's fine. The game doesn't move so fast that you can't multitask. But if you want to focus on the game and start getting into the minutia, it allows for that as well. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's one of the things I really enjoy about the, the you know the watching experience at home and then there's the experience at the actual ballpark which i believe is you know j- every bit is uh enjoyable in a in a different kind of way the first time i got to go to a baseball game i actually bought the tickets john and i had just started dating and it was a present because he was he liked the brewers and i was just learning about baseball so i thought as a new girlfriend hey wouldn't it be cool if we went and saw a brewers game together and we got to go and we had seats that were right behind home plate in a good ways up. So it was a really good view of the entire field. Really good seats. Yeah. And it was the most incredible feeling when you first walk like down the little hallway and you, you get to like where the stands are and the whole field opens up in front of you and the sky is this beautiful blue and the park's all nice and green and mowed and it's all pretty and watered down and everything and People are coming in with their brats and their beer, and it's just, it's such a cool experience to go to a ball game. I love it. Well, the showmanship that they put into, they do make sure that you feel as if you're getting your dollar's worth, no matter what the performance of the team. I mean, they're yeah. really giving you this sort of, like, Broadway, you know, musical experience with, with all of this stuff. and. Being able to be that close to the teams or to actually experience, like, we got the first hand, uh, the first time a, a, a foul ball comes close to you, and you actually <laughs> viscerally realize how fast these things go and how these people spend every day just without blinking, grabbing, and tossing them around. It's terrifying. <laughs> Ryan Braun was at batting practice, or he was like, something like that. Somebody, it might have been Braun, might have been somebody else, but I think it was him. And he hit a foul ball, and it came to where we were, and we were getting into our seats. And it probably was wasn't, a different game it was at the, I think it was on the Mother's Day game that we right. went to. Um, and it probably wasn't even close to us, but it was frighteningly fast. And it went like right over my head, and I was like, I would never reach to grab one of those, ever. <laughs> no. Right. It was like the... I remember overhearing two people at a bar arguing amongst themselves how many uh, balls out of a hundred they they could hit uh, <laughs> pitched by Randy Johnson at the time. They thought they could hit. And, and I turned, I turned, I said, 
Zero. The answer is zero, because the first one he throws at your eyes, you are never getting into that batting box again. <laughs> yeah, really. Which, which, you know, as much as I could just sit and talk about baseball oh. all night, brings us back to the movie. Because <laughs> I, think, I think Charlie Sheen's character in this movie is, is exactly why people are not comfortable in the batter's box. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so what was your experience with this particular movie? Did you see it in the theater? Did you see it at home? How did how did you come about seeing this? I know you showed it to me. I don't know when you first saw it. Man, I watched this movie at my uncle's house. My uncle Bill played it for us, uh, and I watched it with my uncle and my cousin and my dad. This was not the kind of movie my dad uh, would have shown <laughs> me on purpose, or, nor was he very comfortable watching it with us. And I do remember my uh, uncle Bill like really feeling kind of smug about that. And I remember, you know, feeling like I was getting something over on the adults. <laughs> I was probably like 12 or 13, mm, something mm. like that. And this was so it was it was I was at a very good age for this movie. Like most of the jokes weren't over my head and the ones that were I stored away for later. <laughs> and and the adults liked it because it's a fairly sophisticated blend of of movies. But yeah, and I fell absolutely in love with it. I, I do remember the pre the trailer for the movie being very popular because it did throw a lot of the gags in it. There was, uh, I, I think that there was a joke in the trailer that was not in the movie. That is true. Uh, that was the um, it's it's That's, from the scene. It's where the, this ball wouldn't have, that ball wouldn't have been out of a lot of parks. Name one, Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Right. That, that was, was in the, the trailer, but not in the movie. Which they then put in Major League Two. Oh, interesting. You know what? I've never seen Major League Two because I heard that it was a disaster, and I just never bothered. I've just told you everything you need to know about Major League Two. It's that's a <laughs> it's a perfect metaphor for it in that they took it. They took the best joke from a trailer that they decided not to put in a movie and put it in the in their movie to make it the best joke in that trailer in that movie. There you yeah. go. So that's not that, for yeah. Them. I think that that speaks volumes for it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and the the funny thing about it is one of the reasons why I feel this movie is so successful is the cast, and I will want to get into that a little bit as we go on, because I really think they all just did a stellar job in it. And when you look at Major League Two, it has pretty much all the same big names. You got Charlie Sheen, Tom Berenger, Corbin Berenson, David, Dennis Haysbert, James Gammon. Uh, you know, you Wesley have, Snipes does not. No, you you have Omar Epps instead of Wesley Snipes. You still have Bob Uecker doing uh, announcing. So I mean, there's there's a lot of the same talent in here, but I guess that speaks for the script. Yeah, you know, I wanted to give the actors credit, but mm. when you know, if you compare the two movies, apparently the acting in and of itself wasn't going to carry it. No, it, it the script was bad, and plus it falls it suffers from that that sort of well, we have to figure out how to make the them bad again, and then they go through it just goes through the same beats. It were I to rate it, I would probably call it a, a Jaws two. Just like a direct, direct. Um, it, it tries so hard to be a note by note remake of the first one. So you're saying and, Jaws two 
in comparison to the actual film Jaws 2, as opposed to my rating system in which Jaws 2, the Jaws 2 rating is, high, is, is better than the movie Jaws 2. Yes, exactly. Uh, I was saying, if, if I only if I was rating my major leagues, because right. there's three, it, it would. But we'll get. Sorry. Yeah, well, we'll I'm getting. I, I've also I've also never seen Back to the Miners, and I I oh. just my my understanding, and I'm comparing this to to another movie I've never seen, uh, but another sequel to a movie that I've always enjoyed, is Major League Two is not dissimilar from Caddyshack 2. Oh, that's pretty close. Maybe um, Tremors 2 would be a closer analogy if you've seen that. But yes, I, have, Caddyshack I haven't, too. but okay. <laughs> right. But it's just, you know, movies that, that are kind of just living off the legend of the first one, but not living up to it. I was going to say Airplane 2, but that one actually almost works. Yeah, Airplane 2 was amusing, but it just, you know, it it was a little more of too much of the same. You know, it didn't it, – it's – when you're making a sequel to a comedy, I think it's very, very difficult because you don't want to – you don't want to just repeat the same beats, as you said earlier, but you also, you know, you, you want to break new ground, but then if you break new ground, are you going to keep the audience that you originally had? And I think in an action movie, it's a little easier to do that or a science fiction movie. But in a comedy, there aren't a lot of successful comedy sequels. That's true. Well, there's only so many jokes you can use based on your situation, and most of the best ones are going to come up in the first movie. So Let's talk about this one, though, because this one yeah. I think is successful. I and agree. This came out in April of 1989, April 7th. So it's right, you know, right at the beginning of baseball season. So you, you, you're, you're doubling, not doubling up, but you're increasing your audience a little bit by uh, making sure you pull in the diehard baseball fans who, uh, who just can't get enough of it at that time. And 19, and in 1989, the, there wasn't the proliferation of baseball on TV that there is now. You know, you'd have your local teams and you'd have Basically, you'd have, you know, the Saturday game of the week, and that was it. I mean, I don't think there was any kind of ESPN baseball package or anything like that that I can recall back then. Not then, and I think even, like, Monday night baseball and things like that were already done. So, so you're pulling in the crowd. This was directed by David Ward, who also wrote it. Uh, and the stars, again, will hit on Tom Berenger, Charlie Sheen, Corbin Burnson, Margaret Witten, James Gammon, Rene Russo, and Bob Uecker. That's who's listed on the uh, Wikipedia page. So let's, let's go through them briefly. Uh, Tom Berenger, I remember Tom Berenger kind of becoming the next big thing when he appeared in Platoon. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he, he had a, kind of a quick rise and fall again you know he was i remember he was in uh the big chill he was in someone to watch over me uh a couple of movies like that that you know and then his star just kind of faded i remember him appearing on cheers and as much as i love the show cheers it seemed like like he was slumming by then and he's just kind of like faded into obscurity at this point was he already by this point faded 
No, guess... no, I, I mean now. He's he's just oh, gone. No. Like, you don't, I don't see him in anything. I, I assume he's retired now. Right. Yeah, because I think he was already on a downturn by this movie. I mean, because I mean, we, we were talking about, we saw him in a movie called Rustler's Rhapsody, which we love. It's a, it's a Western parody, which also stars Andy Griffith, and if everyone should watch it. Yeah. But well, that's the only other Tom Berenger movie I've seen. Well, I like I said, I, I first, I, I saw, I had seen The Big Chill, and he plays kind of like a uh, Tom Selleck type character in that. Right. Uh, he was. I'm just looking at his page now. He was in Eddie, Eddie and the Cruisers, but I don't remember who he played in that. I remember him really coming into his own in Platoon, where he Platoon. was kind of like the, the, the bastard, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, officer or whatever. And not too long before this, to me, a movie that was underrated was Shoot to Kill, where it's him and Sidney Poitier. Oh, right. I forgot about that movie. I haven't seen that in years. Me neither. Uh, and and the uh, spoilers on that one, by the way, because you don't know who the bad guy is right away, but it's Clancy Brown. Uh, <laughs> and and it was really cool. <laughs> I, I, I remember really enjoying that back then. Uh, so this was, I, I guess this was his next, either his next movie or his next big movie after Shoot to Kill. So t- as far as I was concerned, his star was still on the rise at this point. Yeah, I guess so. And and I you know I mean he was essentially the star of this movie. Right, definitely, it, yes. It, it's, it's an ensemble, it's, but he's he's the focus. Mm-hmm. He is the protagonist. He is the romantic lead. He is the heart of the movie. Yeah, all of that stuff, and he does a very good job. He does, say. which is why, like I said, I'm I'm sitting here, I'm I'm wondering why he's faded into obscurity. Maybe it was by choice. Maybe he didn't want to do it anymore. You know what? You could no. be right. You could be right. It's it's a rare breed, but that there are those people. Yeah, because has he? I haven't. I can't think of anything that he's done. I'm, the second we're done with this, I'm going to think of like something that he, like a small role he had as within a few years ago. But who knows? So, but but I I do think he he did a really good job in this one in in, in all of the roles that you described him in just now, uh, I think I think he he carried his weight really well in this. So then you got Charlie Sheen who also was a star on the rise at the time that this came out. At this point, he had done Platoon with Tom Berenger. Uh, Wall Street I thought was awesome. Young Guns was a lot of fun, and yep. then we have this. Yeah. And, you know, this was before we knew kind of how crazy he was. Yeah. Poor Charlie Sheen. You knew he was from, from, you know, the Sheen family with mm-hmm. his dad and his brother. And, uh, you know, they, they uh, I, I, I thought he was terrific in this. Yeah, I, it's one of his best roles. I mean, he has such good comedic timing and just his emoting. The... How he could just go from um, it, it's really funny to watch a young Charlie Sheen. You know, you think of Charlie Sheen, his bigger than life persona, and all of this stuff, but he plays small and scared yeah. so well with no lines, just by looking around and, and letting the enormity of situations like really show by how he's reacting to them. He is, I mean, Tom Berenger is, is the lead, but he's like he's the Han Solo. 
of it if Luke's the lead. He's kind of the heart of the movie. Right. And I got I have to say, the end of the movie, when they blast Wild Thing as he's coming out, mm-hmm. every single time I've seen this movie, I get goosebumps. Yeah, me too. My band teacher it. in high school was there and filmed that. <laughs> Jesus. She was part of a crowd. They made a small bit of a crowd, which they'd film, and then they had to move over and and rearrange themselves and film until they filled up the whole uh, stadium and filled it. And she said, and we had to sing Wild Thing over and over and over and Mm. over. Not the song, just Wild Thing. Okay, now two, three, four, Wild Thing. But... They sure edited it together into an awesome thing. Exactly. So. You know what? It shows they knew what they were doing, even though the audience was probably going nuts. I remember when this movie came out, the Mets had a hard-throwing closer at the time uh, named Randy Myers. I remember Myers. And they decided when he came out of the bullpen, they're going to play Wild Thing. <laughs> and even as a Mets fan, I thought, oh, that's kind of lame. You know, you, you, you're stealing from the movie. It's not, you know, he's not Wild Thing. Just, you know, that, that's, uh, what's that, Ricky Vaughn is, is Wild Thing. They did do a thing, sorry to hog this, but that, rem, that no, did please, remind me. No, please, go ahead. Of Miller Park, uh, in order to really brag about the fact that we have a retractable dome, there was <laughs> one year a huge blizzard came through Ohio, uh, the opening week of baseball season, and the um, Indians stadium got dumped on completely the brewers were on the road so they let the indians play their first homestand at milwaukee mm-hmm. at, at then miller park and they really played it up and and at the the one game my friend was at it and he told me about it they brought out their uh like a whole bunch of milwaukee fans uh went out there and were cleveland fans for the night and when they called to the bullpen at the end they played wild thing over the thing and the entire crowd just went nuts <laughs> It was great. No, that's fun, though. That worked. That, I mean, that song can definitely rev up an audience, so I understand the desire to play it, especially after this movie. But like I said, I just kind of felt like they were ripping it off. <laughs> right. I thought it worked because it was Cleveland and, and in Milwaukee where they yeah. filmed the movie. Yeah, so I thought that piece worked. So then the, the next actor listed here is Corbin Burnson. Now, he would have been famous at this time for L.A. Law. Right. Yeah. Uh, I love hating his character. Oh, he's great. I love to hate him, too. I know Corbin Burnson from Psych. <laughs> okay. Uh, he, he looks very, very different now. <laughs> see, I don't think so. I, he's one of those people, I think, who has relatively remained the same looking as he's gotten older. But he is such a great character in this movie. I just want to deck him. Well, he's, you know, he's, and it, he's just, you know, I don't know how real it is, but he's the image that fans have of the overpaid ball player. Mm-hmm. You know, when when they uh, they tell him he's got, you know, they want him to die for the balls, and he goes over and gets his contract to say where he doesn't have to. Yeah. <laughs> and he pees on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you want so, me to do? Throw my throw myself in front of it? <laughs> Or you know, and then the whole the whole thing with uh you know with his wife and and where yes. that goes with with Charlie Sheen, 
Uh, <laughs> oh, God, again, poor Vaughn, who has no idea. Yeah, he didn't know. <laughs> but, but it's played so well that, you know, he knows what's going on. You know, Vaughn knows that he wants to avoid him at this point. You know, which Tom uh, Tom Berenger is uh, – what's Tom Berenger's character's name? I can't think. Jake. Uh, uh, Jake. Yeah, Jake Taylor. Jake Taylor uh, yeah. You know, Jake is doing his best to keep them separated because they're, they're in this one-game playoff. And then when Vaughn comes in and, you know, you just had that moment, that rousing moment where they played the Wild Thing song with the crowd going wild. And he's standing on the mound and then – uh, Roger Dorn, Cor- Corbin Burnson's character, comes walking over to him, and you're thinking, "Oh my God, what's going to happen?" And while you're thinking that, they show, you know, Jake going, "Oh my God, what's going to happen?" <laughs> and he just says, "You know, strike this guy out," and he walks away. And you think, "Okay, you know what? He's cool. He's cool with it." Until they win, and then he punches <laughs> him in the face. <laughs> right. But then picks him up and hugs him. And hugs him. So, yes. <laughs> We're past but, that now. It's all good. It was important though because that was definitely on Rick's mind. You know, yeah. at that seed. I think the idea was that it. he was freaking out about it and it was preventing him from pitching well. And Dorn realized that and he went out and kind of gave him like this this sort of almost like temporary closure and told him to strike the guy out and then he but does then, and then but he then gets he to deck him and then him, it's fine. He punches him and it's like okay now it's over because mm-hmm. he hugs him and that's a redemption moment for Dorn. Mm-hmm. As you're watching it, you're like, okay, I don't hate this guy anymore. Right. Because you figure, I guess your wife cheats out of you, get the punch that it's the 80s. Okay. Although, yeah. I mean, who's going to punch him? Who's He's been punch? cheating on his wife multiple well, times, I think, is the understanding. Yes. No one's punching him. Well, what, what the way I take it is his wife punched him by sleeping with uh, Yes, Ricky. exactly. exactly. I'm, I'm just saying. But <laughs> um, I, I do start to like his character a little bit more when you, you do finally see him and he's got all those welts because he has been getting in front of the ball. Right. And he's got all those bruises oh. and things on him. I'm like, yes, that's how you play baseball, sir. So what did you think of the chemistry between Rene Russo and Tom Berenger? Did you buy it? So I really like this movie. But there are parts of this movie that I feel have not aged well. And the stalking of the ex-girlfriend thing is, I understand that that's not how it's intended to come across, certainly. But if you think about, like, she says that they haven't seen each other in at least a year. He's been in Mexico and who knows where else possibly within that time. And then he comes back and he's surprised that she's dating someone else. And then finds out that she's engaged and then makes it his life lesson or his life's work to, to get her back, you know. But in the process of that, he follows her to work and confronts her at work. And then he follows her to what he thinks is her home, and it's not. And for me, watching it now, it's a little cringy. And it, I it, it is a little stalkerish. You're right about that. I just don't like that but i understand too that this is a movie from the 1980s and that was kind of a common trope and it's meant to be more like humorous you know than anything else and not creepy but that's kind of part of the problem is when people do creepy things and they don't realize it because they're not thinking about it it in any case so i have an issue with that aspect of the movie a little bit and i kind of just tend to ignore the film at that point and i just wait for the baseball to come back that's how i've I just kind of get 
through that part of it. I, I thought that scene itself, despite you being, you know, right with the, it, it is a bit cringy to watch the stalking, but then once he gets there and he gets thrown in the classic slobs versus snobs embarrassment moment, you know, in which that's where we realize, oh, but this guy's freaking awful and these two are destined to be together where where it starts to work. That's the that's where their chemistry starts to work a little bit. Before that I thought it I thought they were okay together, but I really do think their romance is probably the weakest part of the movie. You know what would Not, have been better? What, what if they'd bumped into each other like at the pool? At the She's pool? a swimmer. She was like an Olympic alternate team swimmer person doing the medley thing, whatever that is. Probably would have been too catty shot. And I'm just saying, like, there were other ways they could have done that, and it would have been just fine. But did you get their, did you think they had good chemistry, though? Eh. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of, I'm kind of eh on the chemistry also. I feel like it's almost like we have to have a romance in here, so we're going to do this. Yeah, I feel, it felt a little shoehorned to me, and it's kind of like, you know, here's two attractive people, they're going to be our romantic leads. And it, it, she wound up being... The romance itself wound up just being another kind of layer in Tom Berenger's, you know, growing out of his man-child status anyway. So, but she's there. I mean, they're both great actors, and they did what they could with what they were given. Although part of that involves her cheating on her fiancé with him. There's a lot of infidelity in this mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was when, when I rewatched it the other day, like, I became much more aware of that than I had yeah. been in the past. I glossed over it in the past and this time I was thinking, but wait a minute. Who you know, how is she so holier than thou? Yeah. You know, like, she's, what is she's this, a Woody one... Allen movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now I, I felt like they, they glossed over or made humorous the stalker aspect by having him chase her in the bullpen car. Uh, yes, I, I kind of felt like that that softened the stalker aspect of it a little it, bit. It did and, a little and then, as, as John picked it, pointed out, the the snobs versus slobs aspect of it, I think you know the people who were there didn't do anything offensive, but the fiance, whatever his name was, yeah, he was clearly trying to embarrass him. Right mm-hmm. now. If you're thinking about it from a realistic point of view, the guy was justified. This guy's stalking his fiancée, and he's coming to your home and just kind of walking in on his own mm-hmm. and clearly trying to separate her from you. Right. So he's justified in whatever you know, whatever way he tries to embarrass Jake. That's a- but, but we already but- like Jake, so we're going to dislike this guy. Exactly. Plus, he also lost it for me, though, the moment he didn't say, get out of my house before I call the cops, and if I ever see you again, I'll slap a restraining order. But instead, he brings him in to try to humiliate him. And that was a a huge power move, because he doesn't feel in any way threatened by Jake, because he's rich. And he want, and like he literally states it out to Jake, saying, I just wanted her to to realize how much better she's she's got it now. Yeah. Yeah, and then, good, and good then he does, you know, send Jake yeah. away with a threat and a kiss. <laughs> no, Suck my... One of my favorite lines. Yeah, it's, it His is. His delivery is pretty great. It is good. Now, but, no, Paul's right. He is a little justified in his behavior in that scene, and I'd never thought of it that way, because you get too wrapped up in this guy's a jerk kind of thing. Because we like Jake. 
Right, mm-hmm. exactly. Even though Jake's not a great person, <laughs> he does have an arc to go through. He's got a lot of growing up to do. Now, he does stay away once she tells him to. You know, they they have what is supposed to clearly be their last fling. Mm-hmm. And he does, you know, go check again. But once he realizes she's gone, it's all baseball all the time for the rest of it. And it's only she on her own comes back to him, which also, I think, helps soften all of the other rough stuff about it, too. Yeah, it does a little bit. Now, just mostly for comic relief, he doesn't really have too much of a story arc. But... uh I, I feel like Willie Mays Hayes adds mm. a lot to this movie. Oh, Wesley God. Snipes, you know, this was before we had kind of the intense blade Wesley Snipes. You know, this this was more of a fun Wesley Snipes in this one. And, you know, he was it, you may run like Mays, but you hit like shit. <laughs> you hit like shit? <laughs> that I love is it. Like <laughs> the entire bit, because it's such a ludicrous gag uh, that he's just that a guy who can run really fast decides. I'm going to wander onto a baseball spring training field and see what happens. And see, and once they <laughs> sit and see what happens. And, oh, I'm caught already. <laughs> and I'd only seen Wesley Snipes in Blade, so I was like, wait, this guy's not a funny guy. He played this like, super serious vampire dude, right? And John's like, well, yeah, it's the same guy. He's <laughs> just a different character. I'm like, okay, but this is a shock to me. He's great in the movie, he's so funny. It, this this might be in in my opinion this might be his best role. Yeah, uh, I think <laughs> I like Blade, but I think this might be better. I think you're right. That he when he gets um when he finds out that he hasn't been cut and he leaves the locker room to go do his little dance. That yes. is so funny. I love that dance that he does. <laughs> I or, crack up every time. Just as back and forth with the Yankee, who is Pete Bukovic, by the way, former Brewer. Brewer. I was, gonna bring, I was going to bring him up, but go ahead. With, run with him. <laughs> uh, he's Yukovich. He's a former brewer from the Harvey's Wallbangers era. Oh, interesting. Um, okay, and he cool plays cool. the first baseman who said it's pretty, pretty hard to get the second base with your shoe untied. But it's, it's amazing because he plays the big power hitter, but he was a pitcher. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yes. That's funny. And then we also have uh, the... Uh, the Yankees pitcher at the end, I believe it's the one that they, that he that Jake bunts off of. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Duke, Duke Temple is played by Steve Yeager, who uh, was a catcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers, okay. Oh, okay. and is the nephew of Chuck Yeager, the uh, you know the famous astronaut. Oh. small world of famous That's people. That's cool, and I did not know. And then, uh, just as you know, interesting fact: as a kid, when the Dodgers were in the World Series in the late '70s, Steve Yeager was catching for them, and he was the first catcher to uh, to have the catcher's mask with the dangling plastic to protect his neck. Okay. <laughs> and that was because he had a batter had split his bat, you know, on a foul ball. And a piece of the bat actually went into his neck. Ooh! Ugh. Yikes! I guess you know, I, I, I guess it, it didn't you know it didn't do any serious serious damage because he recovered and came back. But I mean that could kill you. Oh no, kidding! Yeah. There was so much about baseball that you're just inches away from death. We the Brewers just had I shouldn't 
say we. I don't play for the Brewers. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. When you're a big enough fan, you're allowed to say we. It's we. Uh, I'm trying to remember his name because he just started playing for us because he's filling in because everyone is injured right now. Uh, so Taylor Roberts, right now. I think, is his name. And he got hit in the head, I think, two, three nights ago by, like, a 94-mile-an-hour fastball. And he was all right. I mean, it got him, like, in the, I think, in, like, the bill of his helmet. He popped up so fast. He apparently he did, and he finished out the game, but he is now on the concussion, yeah. whatever. It's not a list, but the, there's, like, a process, a concussion process, it's which is smart. good because he got hit in the head with a baseball. It amazes and, me what these guys recover from because I used yeah. to, you know, I was coaching my son in Little League. And I would, uh, you know, go to warm up the next pitcher, you know, the next 12-year-old who's coming into pitch. Mm -hmm. And I'd get him, you know, get him throw pretty hard to me. And after I was done, it was like, boy, my hand is hurt. You know, my hand hurts from Mm -hmm. (laughs) through the glove catching that ball. And I'm thinking, that's what a 12-year-old throwing to me as hard as he can. Could you imagine how what these guys deal with? No kidding. Absolutely. I mean, it hits you in the thigh or something that's going to sting and probably leave a mark. But it gets you in the foot or the wrist. I mean, ugh, you're going to get fractures. Yeah. And you do. You do yeah, get they, fractures they, because Manny Pena's got one right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're getting hit twice in the same spot. And that's why we don't hit hit or we don't hit batters. Now, to me, the breakout star of this movie, the guy who, mm-hmm. who I had never seen before, and when I saw him later, I couldn't believe it was the same guy, is Dennis Haysbert as Pedro Serrano. <laughs> the Allstate man. The Allstate guy. I had no idea that that was the same dude. Yeah, or or he was president. Uh, I can't think of what his his name was on it. President from from oh, uh, twenty four. Twenty four. He was the president on twenty four. Yeah, and, and and I had seen this movie, and then I you know I was watching twenty four. I think twenty four was before he was doing the Allstate commercials, and. I had no clue that it was the same guy. I was two days ago, years old, when I realized it. Uh, <laughs> I, I read it somewhere, and I then everything um, retroactively made a lot more sense, but I felt pretty silly. Yeah, well, because he seemed, you know, he he totally buried himself as Pedro Serrano. <laughs> he, yeah. You know, he, he was just not the same person as when he would act normal. So My dad, I, I don't think I've heard him laugh louder. Once he relaxed, you know, at the fact, all right, we're all in watching this movie. I guess I'm going to like it. Uh, at the exchange about, he goes, why don't you just let you take Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and leave all this aside? Ah, Jesus, I like him very much. No good for curveball. Are you trying to tell me Jesus Christ couldn't hit a curveball? <laughs> I have never heard my dad laugh louder and harder at that than every. Which is, that that is a great exchange. That that's you know what that's an example of what we were talking about before. How this is a well-written movie. Mm-hmm. And, so and many the, good one-liners. Yeah, it's got a, a ton of of one-liners. It's also got just very likable characters. Really, mm-hmm. like I said, even. Even the ones who we're supposed to dislike, like Roger Dorn, mm-hmm. by the time it's over, you still like him. Yeah. I mean, it's and Rachel Phelps even. I mean, she's so awful, but you're kind of pulling for her. You know, she's not pulling for her, but you're almost. She's so good at being terrible, you almost root for her. She's well, now, they apparently had an alternate scene 
that they filmed that they didn't use because it didn't work with test audiences oh. where uh, at the end of the movie, she kind of admits that she was never going to move the team to Miami. She couldn't afford to move the team to Miami. That's why she had to go with these low budget players because the team was nearly bankrupt and that she did this in an effort to rally them and, and you know, bring them together. But the the test audiences preferred to hate her. <laughs> but it is she is wonderful in this movie. And the the undressing her piece by piece thing, John and I were talking about this earlier, and I still don't know exactly where I fall on this, because they they would not have done that had it been a man. You know, they wouldn't have put a, a cardboard cutout of him in the locker room and peeled bits of clothing off of him. Although, maybe. Tommy Lasorda, maybe. I can think if they were mad enough at him. Sure. I can see. But likely not. And it, it, there, but it's, it's uh, not, I guess, bookended by the scene where she goes into the locker room when all the guys are changing and Roger Dorn, like, ducks behind a locker. And then the, the manager comes out. He's like, I'm too old to dodge, yes. to, you know, dive into lockers. And she has all the power in the agency in that scene. Yeah, she, and she then, slaps Pedro Serrano on the ass. Uh, right, uh, and she knocks yeah. on Charlie Sheen's cup, and you know, like the, she's. These are all sexual harassment, like for clear sure. sexual harassment <laughs> things. Not yeah, so, so it doesn't make it right on either side, but it is equal right. opportunity. Mm. I and I think that's kind of what the movie was was getting at. It, it neither thing was a mature or correct way to behave. You know, but I guess the idea is that both sides did it, and therefore sexism doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> I guess is what they're going for. So that's another thing that I'm like, you know, I I don't. It's not cringy for me, like like the kind of stalkery a- aspect of of big thing is, but I'm not a big fan of it. I think it is kind of silly and immature, but I I guess that's something that I can handle. <laughs> maybe that's where I draw my line yeah well I think there's, there's elements of this movie that are more a reflection of the time um, mm-hmm. not necessarily that things don't go on like that now uh, you know some of the womanizing and stuff that the players are doing you know for example Roger Dawn sleeping with you know whoever uh, after mm-hmm. they win a game and even even for that matter Ricky Vaughn uh, you know, he's he's a single guy. He could sleep with whoever he wants, but he still slept with somebody. He didn't even know her name. Right. So, you know, and, and that stuff, like I said, I'm not going to say that th- that stuff doesn't go on anymore, but you're generally not going to see it in a movie so much or at least in a comedy anymore. Mm-hmm. What I was remarking on that, too, is that this Major League Baseball gave the all clear on that sort of thing. You know, it was definitely officially licensed by major league baseball they were licensed teams they were using county stadium they were trying to make it look like Mm. other parks and stuff whereas it doesn't go with the image of players they would be trying to condone say today you you probably wouldn't have something that over the top these days but because the the norms and the mores are different that was that was in the era we were just starting to learn about these what what these kind of guys were like you know in the era of some books some tell-all books were coming out like ball four and because well, i guess a, now it would be too this was 1989 was this before during or after the big steroid 
before. before. But it would have been just before, because that was during the 90s was the big yeah. juicing era, right? Yeah, we didn't find out about that until, well, after that didn't get fed until the mid to late 90s. Although, in retrospect, watching some of those games, it's like, you didn't think he was using steroids? We, look, have Mark, you seen the man? Look, Mark McGuire just drank a lot of milk. <laughs> and, and his hat size increased because of that. Hey, that was Barry Bonds. Oh, well, whatever. In any case, <laughs> just like, for example, Ryan Braun, my favorite brewer was suspended for abusing steroids, it, which sucks. But I, I figure that I'm a new enough fan that I don't have to hold that I, against him. Because I, don't, I don't hold the using steroids against him so much because I think so many players did it that I, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, let, let he who is without sin kind of thing. Uh, yeah. What I hold against him, honestly, is that he made the guy who uh, took the sample the scapegoat. Uh, when that guy didn't do anything wrong, uh, that bothered me. Mm. But anyway, uh, right. just I remember hearing on the Howard Stern show a uh, very famous ball player uh, who had recently settled down talking, and he was talking about the road lifestyle with women, uh, mm. and it was interesting to hear it because his take on it was, "I'm really happy to have settled down because." As you know, as much fun as it could be at times, he says women would just come to him and hand them hand him their hotel room key. You know, mm. people who he never even spoke to, they would just hand him their key, you know, hoping that he would come over and sleep with them. Yeah. Uh, mm. And and he and his 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 comment was, he's I'm an athlete, I'm in good shape, but I am only human. He's, he's <laughs> like, not every time every time I do this, I'm not going to show them that I'm Superman. And it's it's a little disconcerting when you know when 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 someone is isn't 100% satisfied afterwards and, and starts <laughs> acting like you did something wrong. And and I thought that was an interesting take on that lifestyle. That I agree with that. Our relationship with celebrities is its own sort of thing. I could probably give a TED TED talk at a different time. Can we talk about Bob Euchre, though? Yes, please talk about Bob Euchre. <laughs> Bob Euchre is so funny in this. <laughs> and, he's, and he's from Milwaukee. I wonder how much of Euchre's lines were ad-libbed. You know, well, he didn't say anything about usingers, though, so I don't know. <laughs> but he's he's very funny. That's, that's all we got. One goddamn hit. You, you can't, can't say that on the radio. No, no one. Where is, no one's listening anyway. <laughs> He's so funny. A lot of the lines like that him. were there, I mean, I don't know if they were ad lib, but there's some of it that's definitely was putting so much of in because, mm. like, they just a bit outside. That's a that is a euchreism that he will say if it is just a bit outside in real life. You know, not anymore. You know, now if he's he throws in a just a bit outside because of that he's famous, but he goes mm. curveball and a dandy. <laughs> He, uh, you know, he was famous by this time for his must be in the front row commercial and all. Uh, he he was never a big player in his career, no. but when he became famous, I read his autobiography and I found it to be very entertaining. And it was, you know, it was all written tongue in cheek. And the the line I remember most clearly is he talked about when a player reaches the end of the, their career, it's a very very sad and delicate moment, and the coaches have to kind of let them know, you know. You're, you're, you know, you're done now. It's over. He said, uh, 
I remember when, when my career came to an end, I went to walk into the locker room and the coach came over and just shoved me out the door and said, players only, and then slammed it. <laughs> he's very self-depreciating. Oh. Bob he likes to make fun of him. And he still has that comedic timing. I mean, listening to him now, I mean, he's in his well into his 80s he's now. He's like 87 or and something. And he's, he's, he's getting up there and he's not as sharp as he used to be by the stretch and, some, and listening to him call a, a high fly ball is infuriating but yeah. oh man <laughs> seriously bob please tell is us it, if it's gonna be caught or not <laughs> see that's the thing but the dark humor side of me said that i think bob's going to die on the air while calling a long fly ball and we won't know if it's home run because that because <laughs> so many times i get up get out of here get, what and it's caught Wait, oh, there's two outs. <laughs> anyway, using your bronze. Yeah. And it's perfectly okay because it's Bob and no it's, one cares. But, I mean, he's still sharp there. It, it's just he has trouble, I think, with some of the monitors and, and things. And, and he does only call the home games. But, my God, the stories he still will crank out. And of all of the people that he knew on those Braves teams, that he played on. I mean, he played with Hank Aaron. Mm-hmm. Right, right. He did. And Warren Spahn and all of these people. And he has such incredible stories to tell. And it's just been a treat growing up listening to baseball and having him uh, doing the play-by-play for all of those years. And to get to see him do this parody of himself in this movie was, is so great. It's wonderful to see that. And it, it especially because the Brewers are a small market team and Wisconsin's a flyover state. People often think we're a part of Canada. So, you know, we're kind of used to getting the short end of the stick. And it's really cool to see a, a, a Brewers staple in a major movie. I thought that was so neat. That's Bob Uecker. That's so cool. I love this. Ball eight. And he successfully loaded the bases on 12 consecutive <laughs> pitches. How did those batters get, get by laying off pitches so close? Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, now, who's the guy who plays his color man? I don't I know no who that, that is. guy is. He gets I'm, like three lines in the whole thing. He's also pretty funny, though. <laughs> and then, uh, what is, is it a Jim Beam, like a full bottle of Jim Beam? There was a Jack Daniels that he's got, yeah. Well, the joke back in the day used to be that anytime the Brewers went down by eight runs, that Bob got to pull out the Jack Daniels because. That's a. Uh, so I think that. Your contract. <laughs> Bob would, back in the day when you used to, it was much more common, used to imbibe a, a few Miller lights here and there. Oh, I and while he was calling and telling stories, sure. and he used to let a few s bombs and one <laughs> one f bomb will get through on the air. <laughs> that one time get through on the air. But we love him. Oh, great! Well, I was, uh, you know, we had uh, Bob Murphy here in New York for mm. many years, sure. and and I remember uh, one particular game where. Uh, you know, went into extra innings. The Mets had blown a lead a couple of times, and then they finally won the game. And uh, in, when he, when he, you know, at the end, he announced, he says, "The Mets win. They win the damn game." And, and it just became like a famous call because of the way he said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I just because it's, it's super funny because John has a friend who's from, or it's funny to me anyways, 
John's got a friend from Chicago who's a Cubs fan. Somehow they reconcile that during baseball season. I don't know. They work it out amongst themselves. I don't much care for the Cubs myself. Anthony Rizzo, looking at you. But Harry Carey was their very famous announcer, and there was a couple in the audience <laughs> one night on the Jumbotron or whatever, and I like the kind of like the kiss cam thing that they'll do or whatever, and Harry Carey was like, oh, I see. He kisses her on the strikes, and she kisses him on the balls. <laughs> And then Harry was out of the booth for a couple of Technical difficulties. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Okay. On that note, <laughs> uh, just, uh, you know, I, I didn't really take specific note. In, in the many times I've watched this, I don't think I've ever taken specific note of the background music, the score. I've noticed I noted more the songs like when they play Wild Thing or the uh Randy Newman song at the beginning of the movie and and I enjoy the music in it there but I can't say I really made much note of any of the other music in there's it a, there's the montage song that they play with that do 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 they also play it on the using her brought commercials I was going to say there it's not really a movie score you can hum to you know, it's not that kind of... It, it's a very John Tesh-y, um keyboard-focused, yes. you know, montage song. I agree. About right. than, yeah. yeah. It, it, it was effective. I mean, I don't think it was... There was nothing wrong with it. I just don't think... You know, I don't think it's one that you would, you know, pull out the CD and play it. <laughs> yeah, no. I want to listen to the score to Major League. <laughs> do, 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 do. I'll play the next one. Wild thing. Yeah. Okay. That I'll listen to. No problem. So uh, I I don't know if there's, is there anything else that we haven't hit on in, with this? Oh, how could there possibly be? Is there anything <laughs> that John and I haven't talked about at great length already? He's looking at his <laughs> list. I'm just uh, just to, just to make sure. Are there any points that if we don't say them right now, we'll be lost to time because we didn't get it on the podcast? This, this, it, it does stink to have moments lost to time, because then you look at your list later and you're like, oh, shit, shit I wanted to say I this, would, but I didn't. I would be remiss. <laughs> it's just, I think my favorite quote is still, uh-oh, Rexy. <laughs> I don't think this one's got the distance. <laughs> That's my favorite line from the movie, for sure. <laughs> nice little fly ball. Hell of a dancer. <laughs> you must be very proud. I'm sure that guy's a real close personal friend. <laughs> I like to think that that actually happens. Like, that's why when Narvaez and um, Jesus Aguilar were, like, kind of having their little exchange, I like to think that that does happen. Sure. It, does. it must be, because, right, they're just at work. You know, like, this is what they do to make all of the monies. But right. they get to see, you know, friends from other teams, and, like, some of these guys grew up together as friends and got to play baseball on different teams, and... It's just really cool when you get to see, like, they just had Mike Trout mic'd up the other day, and mm. man, was that man built to play baseball. Holy moly. Oh, yeah. 29 years old, and just a phenom. Um, and he, he's just kind of this adorable down-home dude. It's so much fun when they mic up the players, because then you get to kind of just see and hear kind of what things are like when they're actually out there on the field. And I think that's kind of fun. And baseball movies are kind of like that, but they're <laughs> totally agree. One of the things I like is that this ended up, you know, they won the division. 
we have no idea what they did in the playoffs and, the, and if they got to the World Series, whether they did well in the World Series. We have no clue. Right. I like that, I, I too. Like I miss that. I like the idea that winning a pennant is a – winning the division pennant is enough of a – well, back then it just would have been – that would have been the National League. Was that just the East they would have won? Actually, back then it would have been the – well, it, it, actually, yeah, it still won. is. It's the American League, actually. It would yeah. have been the American League East. Right. So, but that winning a pennant was in and of its own self an achievement, and you would remember that with as much fondness as you might remember a World Series. Well, not as you know. Well, you know, just to to kind of give a little of the history on that is, it used to be you had the National League, the American League, and that was it. There were no divisions. Mm-hmm. So up until nineteen, up through nineteen sixty eight, if you were, if you know, the first place in the National League played first place in the American League in the World Series. End of story. That was it. Mm-hmm. In 69, it was the first year that they had a playoff series, and actually my Mets were in there against the Braves that year. Hmm. Uh, and that's you know that's when you started with the National League East, National League West, American League East, American League West. And hmm. then later on, it became much more expanded to what it is now. Uh, but in 89, when this came out, I believe we still would have been in just the two divisions. We would have, yeah. So, so Cleveland would have been in the same division as the Yankees, which is why, the you know, in the movie they finished in a tie for first place. And we got that. My mm. favorite thing in baseball, the 163rd game. Right. Yeah, it's That's magical. And all, all the more, you know, and and they did pick that up in in the playoffs where they, you know, with the wild card game where it basically becomes mm-hmm. 163rd game. Right. Mm-hmm. But back to the movie again. I have to keep. <laughs> I have to keep trying to not just talk baseball in general. Stay uh, tuned for our baseball podcast. Yeah, right. Starting a... Maybe one day. Yeah, uh, but you, 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 you know the distinction between the actual Jaws movie and my scale, correct? You or should I, I should I give that to you again? Why Why don't you just to be on the safe? Okay, because because. Oh. In reality, Jaws is a great movie. Jaws 2 is a significant drop-off from Jaws. Jaws 3 is probably the worst one of the bunch, and Jaws 4 is horrible, but it's funny, so it's better than Jaws 3. In, <laughs> okay, yeah. so it's kind of like the Rocky movie. <laughs> by, by my scale, Jaws is a per, you know, in just for the purposes of rating, Jaws is a perfect movie or nearly perfect, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a classic Jaws 2 is a really, really solid movie that you'd watch over again, but it's just not quite at that classic level. Jaws 3 is, you know, a movie you, you could watch, be entertained by, but you move on and it's nothing special. Uh, and Jaws 4 is bad. And then I've, <laughs> since, I've since added the, uh, what is it, Jaws 17 from uh, Back to the Future 2, uh, huh. which, which would be a movie that's just so damn bad that it's enjoyable to watch because it makes you laugh. Sure. Uh-huh. So, with that being your scale, where do you fall on Major League? I will go first. I will say this is Jaws. Because even with the the flaws that we've talked about, and those are aside, they do not detract from the movie to the extent that I watch this movie every year, and I laugh hysterically at the same (laughs) jokes that I know are coming every time. I get just as excited at the baseball scenes 
and I smile with Bob Uecker, and I point at the, look, WTMJ, WTMJ, it's Milwaukee Station. Yes, John, every year, Maggie. <laughs> yeah. So, so for me, definitely, it is John. I'll agree. It's, yeah, I, I was I was tempted to say it's Jaws 2, just because it does have a little bit of the, the problematic issues of just being a product of its time. But I, I think that the, the goods of the film greatly outweigh those negatives, and I, I would also say that this movie is Jaws. And while I don't disagree with any point you've made, I totally agree with everything, and I laugh over again at this and it, it it is in its own way a classic and a great baseball movie uh and it gives me goosebumps every time they play wild thing when he comes <laughs> but i'm gonna say it's a little bit light and for that reason i'm gonna give it a high jaws too instead of mm. a uh instead of a jaws how but, did but, no I, but that's yeah, not that's to totally that's fair. not to denigrate it at all it's Absolutely. just kind of like i'm on that fence yeah mm-hmm. So I'm going to say I, I enjoy the heck out of it. Uh, I think I enjoy it more because I'm a baseball fan, but I don't think you have to be a baseball fan to enjoy this movie. So yeah. I, th- I think it's really solid, and I, you know, I, I can't criticize it in any way to speak of other than some of the sensibilities of the time, which we've mm-hmm. kind of gone over. Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. So that said... Uh, married with married and watching cartoons. Why don't you tell everybody about that? All right. Yes, it is a podcast. We have changed format recently, uh, where Maggie and I take turns uh, showing the other one a cartoon that the other one may not be as familiar with. Sometimes we have guests come on who either help us out with that or will bring us uh, some that they like and we haven't seen or that want to watch one that we're showing. Sometimes guests invite themselves onto the show. Sean, we're looking looking at you, Sean. Uh, We love you. The best way to find us is just point your podcatcher either at Married Watching Cartoons or Married with Comics. Uh, we're on all of the podcatchers. Uh, otherwise, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at MWC underscore podcast. And I am at Maggie and the Rain. Okay. I want to thank you guys for coming on. Uh, it was too long in between times of talking to you guys, but it was just as much of a pleasure this time as it was last time. No, I agreed. We had I, a great time. It was great. Yeah, so we much will, fun. Yeah. So we will not wait quite as long for our next venture together. I, I <laughs> yeah. Hooray! But thanks again for coming on. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Two outs, top of the nine, still tied at two. Harris working on a seven-hitter. Here's the pitch. Sanslow hits a long drive. This one's going to get over. Serrano's headed off the wall. Serrano up with it, fires it back in. Marks digging for third. Sanslow in the second with a standing double. And the Yankees have runners at second and third as Harris is now beginning to show signs of fatigue. Shit. Get blown up. Activity continues in the bullpen. Harris is in real trouble now. He got the first two hitters, then gave up a single and a double, and has now gone 3-0 at Achievers. Harris sets, checks the runners, comes to the plate. High ball four, and the bases are loaded, and that's going to bring up Clue Haywood, the biggest Indian killer of them all. 
Taylor and Brown on their way to the mound, and this could be all for Harris. He has pitched a beauty. How's the hold, Eddie? I'm a little tired. I'm throwing every piece of junk I can think of at him, Skipper. I got enough left for one more hitter. Nah, you pitched a hell of a game, man. Take a seat. We'll see if we can get this guy out for you. Good game, Eddie. Jimmy Vaughn. You want Vaughn? I know he hadn't done very well against this guy, but I got a hunch he's due. Good job. the out you've been waiting your whole life for. Surprise move by Brown here, bringing in the wild thing, who's been shelled in two outings against the Yankees. Oh, shit. Let's cut through the crap, Vaughn. I only got one thing to say to you. Strike this motherfucker out. Okay, the conference on the mound is over and we are ready to go. How about it? Number six. First baseman, Blue Hayward. steps in the American League's triple crown winner 341 average 48 homers 121 RBIs he's homered the only two times he's faced Vaughn all right Ricky let's get nasty he would set at the plate Vaughn from the windup <laughs> Tucker was moving, wasn't it? If it hit you, leave a two-foot hole coming out. 
Okay, what should we call now? Let's see what the kid feels about the old number one. Wild thing delivered. <laughs> Get about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. Well, shit. All these pitches to choose from. Maybe we ought to try something different this time. Ha, <laughs> ha, 